The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of Aletheia Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Welcome to Nightlight Radio. Nightlight Radio is a late-night call-in show. You are speaking with Pastor Josh and uh, Jacob over there. Normally we have Justine, but she's not feeling well today. Uh, but we are over at Alathia Bible Fellowship in Portland, Oregon, and as always, we are joined by producer Jasmine hiding somewhere in the corner. We are not psychologists. This is not therapy. We are here to give upfront biblical advice, perspectives, and God's wise counsel to your problems. So for the next two hours, you can call in, text, or message, email us at counseling at abfpdx.org, or DM us through Instagram or Facebook. Our phone number is 971-208-5290, and our chat profiles are in the link. You can also anonymously hit us up with topics through the Jot form in our bios. If you or someone you know needs help, talk to us. The camera will be on for the next two hours. So, here we are. Jake? Hi. Uh... Christine is absent, but we still have our cards. Yes, we do. These are Would You Rather cards. Um, but so we want to open up the show tonight with a little Would You Rather? Yeah, let's do that. All right, and then after we get going on that, we actually have uh, some topics left over from last week that we're going to be discussing. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Lori's situation uh, at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, and then... Once we get around to the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about Miranda. So, Lori, if you recall, she was uh, wrestling with night terrors and uh, what that means from a biblical perspective. And Miranda wanted uh, us to just give some biblical perspectives on suicide. So uh, we also got some other other uh, topics to discuss sort of peppered in there, but we're going to try to give some weight to those. But in the meantime, before we get started, just to uh, sort of warm us up here, Jake is going to hook us up with a little would you rather. So here we go. Would you rather lose your hair slowly over 10 years or lose your voice in 20 years? Really stressful question. Yeah, I, that's well, I think that's an easy question. Yeah. I would I would just go bald right now if it meant I'd never lose my voice. Well, for me it's an inevitable reality. Is it? Oh yeah. For really? going bald, yeah. I'm already balding a little bit. Are you? Yeah. Let's pull that back. Let me see. Uh, Yeah, I cannot tell that you're balding. Definitely. I cannot tell in any way, shape, or form that you're balding, Jake. When I look at you, Jake, do I think he's balding? No, I don't. Well, okay. You and your sister both have a lot of balding. Well, my grandfather, he balded at a young age. All right, well, you don't don't seem like you're balding to me, so. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm growing my hair out. Anyway, I suspect I'll either have my hair go white or I will bald. I'd like my hair to be white. Anyway, moving on. Next question. Yeah, totally. Would you rather have to talk to 100 people every day or only get to talk to one person a week? (laughs) One person every day or... No, 100 people. Every day. Every day. Or only get to talk to one person a week? Yep. I mean, I think I'd rather talk to just one person a week, if I'm being honest. Mm. I feel like I talk to 100 people a day. <laughs> yeah. Why would you only want to do one a week? Because you could really spend time. Like, imagine, imagine 
you there's only 24 hours in a day, right? And let's assume that you're going to sleep some of those hours. Let's let's assume just be kind to you and say that you're going to get, you know, 8 hours of sleep. That's what my wife would say. So, what does that leave you with in the day? 16 hours or something, right? So, so you've got 16 hours to talk to people. And how are you going to fit 100 conversations into 16 hours? They're not conversations. What's no the way. math going to be on that? Yeah. It'd be less than uh, three or four <laughs> conversations every every. Every so, so there's often. sixty. So okay. So sixteen. So there's sixteen hours in your work day, per per se, right? And then there's a hundred people, which means you have to, you have to. Well, divide be quarterly. You have to do it in quarters because twenty four hours in a day. Twenty. You need to just add one more hour. Twenty five times four is a hundred. So you'd only get to do less than four people every hour. And how much time would you get with them? It would be fifty nine minutes. No, no, I'm sorry. It wouldn't be. It, yeah. No, then you would no. divide that by 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 divide four by. So right. four divided by sixty. So math is not it's a five. Strong you get five here. minutes. With five each minutes. Person. That seems that seems more accurate. Yeah. Yeah, five minutes with each with each person. And that's what you do. And that doesn't take into account normal human activity like pooping, you know, <laughs> or eating, or I don't know, like, I, I don't know, just normal, you know, yeah. walk time between, between things, you know, it, so that sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, one person a week would definitely be way more productive than a hundred person a day. Right. Especially with the conversations we have, know what I'm saying? Uh, yes. So, I. Uh, you want me to do one more? You want ready for something else? Uh, one yeah, one more. Do one more and then let's move on. Would you rather never feel pain again or never feel fear again? We did this one last time. Oh, crud. That's, not That's what I'm trying to tell you. Look at that. She's 59. All right. Yeah, we did that one last time. Okay. Let's do a different one. Okay. Would you rather know when you will get married or know when you are going to pass away? Would you rather know when you get married or know when you're going to pass away? Also, I think we're redlining on the sound, Jasmine. I will turn it down. I'll just This is why, why you got to use headphones. I'll just go to the very middle of the box and pull one out. Because I can't sit in the corner. Well, we definitely have cords, so. I can't sit in the corner unless I have <laughs> really long. Here. Wait, what was the last one? Oh. Would you rather know when you're getting married or know when you're gonna die? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm already married, so. Yeah. That's. I mean. Yeah. Talk to the prettiest boy or girl in school, or clean the school toilets. <laughs> I know which one I'm used to doing. That's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, it's funny. I I mean I don't know I'm I'm not nervous to talk to people so <laughs> I think that's what that's implying right is that you're nervous yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah so I'd rather clean the toilets I would what super nervous I would ra- I would <laughs> you would rather clean the toilets and talk to somebody rather clean the toilets and talk to the prettiest girl in school um, all right I'd barf all over her 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I make a teenage dirt bag out of myself. All right, that's a good good pull. Yeah, little little weedus in there. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, while Jasmine is, uh, while producer Jasmine's getting our YouTube page figured out, because for some reason we got kicked somehow. Um, let's go ahead and start our first topic of conversation. Okay. Um, do you have that on you, Jake, or do you want me to read it? Um, you go ahead. Whoa, that sounds what 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 are you doing over there, producer Jasmine? All right, well, you can't, uh, there's no way that you can know how to do that without headphones on. There's no, um. that's not how that works. Okay, so <clears throat> so the, the first uh, topic is from Lori, and again, this came from last week, uh, last Thursday night. So, and it was, uh, I think it was an uh, anonymous submission. So, Lori, she says, I know of a few people who have been wrestling with night terrors. What does that mean? What's the biblical perspective on nightmares that are so bad that they haunt your waking hours? I know of one person who has it so bad that it makes her depressed during the days and has driven her to alcoholism. Mm. All right. Wow. What do you think? Night terrors that have been so bad it it drove you to alcoholism. I can't imagine that. Well, it's it's not Lori. Right? Oh, it's her friend? Yeah, I mean, okay. I guess, you know, as these things go, maybe it is Lori, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. But she's talking about her friend, so... Yeah, so, that's just uh, concerning. So it's it's two basic, it's two basic um, things I, I think we're talking about, right? So the first one is about nightmares and what that means. Okay. And then the second one is maybe about alcoholism or substance, substance abuse, right? Right. Yeah, how that could, you know, potentially fall into night terrors. How, how this, that would relate. How those two are connected to each other. Yeah, I have an interesting story about that. Yeah, too. go for it. Go to it. Um, my buddy had a night terror, but he was also like drinking every day. Yeah. Uh, maybe he was an alcoholic, but um, I can't tell you if it's relatable. Like him drinking all the time. Um, but it seems real. Like it was just like this dark figure that, you know, kind of said something, you know, said his name, spook him. Uh, Wait, so you're saying that he had a, a night terror where somebody said something to him? Yeah. It was like a demon or something. Okay. It was like late at night and I can't remember if he was sleeping or what, but, uh, it actually took him out of alcoholism. Like he didn't drink after that so heavily. Because of that, yeah, I had experience. a I had a youth leader once who said something like that too. Like he was like tripping, I think, on shrooms, hmm. and he saw like a a demon or something that like warned him, and then he l- never did that again. Yeah. So. Also familiar. I suppose so. Do you want to talk about your experience with those things? Well, I've used to have dreams or be woken up from my sleep by like hearing my name being shouted out by like a man's voice and um, I've only had that happen to me once or twice but when I was a child I had uh, a night terror that would happen over and over again to be the same terrible dream um, but then there was one specific time I remember that I had a night terror where I was like lucid dreaming I was like five years old, and it was like someone's trying to suffocate me, and I like literally tried to open my eyes, and I couldn't mm. do it. Um, it was terrifying. 
But uh, as far as like that goes, like like a trip type of situation, mm-hmm. you know, from substance abuse to being completely sober, uh, I was on acid and um, at a super extreme uh, situation happened to me or ended up crashing my car. Um, but the whole thing was just a terrible trip. And, um, basically I learned to let go of my own efforts to fix anything and allow God to take over. Do you think that that's because like a demon, uh, was trying to do something bad and you, uh, went the opposite direction because you were so scared, or do you think that that was God reaching out, like trying to scare you, sort of like a like a spiritual scared straight program? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know I know scared, what you're talking about. You know the scared straight program? Yeah, I used to watch that. Do they even do that anymore? I don't know, but I used to really love that show. That was a show? Yeah, Beyond Scared Straight. Metally. Metally. Oh, it was good. I think it was on Discovery Channel or something. No, Weird. But well, yeah, you're A and D. They always have the good shows. Hey, so before we get into the the meat of the discussion, Jacob, hold up your phone there. All right, so showing the camera. I don't know. Jacob, the camera's over there, dude. Oh. It's right there. Uh, Yeah, so the phone number is 971-208-5290. That phone number is going to text or call Jacob's phone. So if you want to talk about, uh, like, your nightmares and, like, get a godly perspective on that, um, you can, you can text that number and, uh, you know, you can talk to us that way or you can actually straight up call the show and, you know, and we'll talk to you. Yep. So, um, but yeah, our lines are open. So, so yeah, so let's, let's talk about nightmares, uh, from a godly perspective. Um, sorry, were you done with your story by the way? Yeah. I mean, you asked me a question if I thought that came from God. Right, right, right. Scaring me straight. Right. Okay. So, talking about like nightmares. First of all, night terrors and nightmares are kind of kind of different things, right? Um, but Lori doesn't really make a distinction between the two. I feel like, but like a night terror is something that um, grips you out of your sleep, but then you are still dreaming while you're awake. Mm-hmm. Like you can't move because your body's like asleep. So yeah, culturally. Uh, those things have been described before, like demonically, right? So, like, there's the term um, incubus or succubus, uh, like these demons, quote unquote. And I, I put that into air quotes. You can't see it if you're listening, but I put that I put that into air quotes um, so that you like will know that there's not there's nowhere in scripture that we have the term incubus or succubus. Um, there's there's some similar things like there's a demon of the night um, which in that culture was called Lilith and there's a whole thing about that but um, <clears throat> anyway um, those those were like uh, sort of medieval demons that that culture came up with that would like sit on you and um, do things to you while you were sleeping uh, but they're describing something that we now in this time you know would call a night terror. Um, so, but that's different than nightmares, Yeah, which is like you're asleep and you're having a dream that goes, goes south. Sure. Um, so when we're talking about nightmares, 
I mean, this is something that everybody experiences. They have to experience them. Um, it's just part of the... Well, everybody has to experience REM. You know, they have to experience rapid eye movement in their sleep. Otherwise, it really um, destroys you as a, as a person. Like, you, you need that. And so dreams are something that, you know, we're made... God, God made us with the ability to have dreams and wants us to be dreaming. Um, and it's just, it's an area that we don't really know a lot about. And to be quite honest, scripture doesn't speak a lot about it. Um, we do have, we do have God using dreams a lot in scripture, but not so much nightmares. Um, so God speaks in dreams for judgment um, he speaks in dreams for prophecies. We see that in the book of Genesis. Uh, we see it in the book of Genesis specifically with Jacob, for instance. So uh, Jacob has the dream of the angels like descending and ascending on the stairs. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, he he has the dream about the... Um, Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. But uh, you have uh, Abimelech, who God speaks to in a dream when he's trying to uh, when he's trying to take Sarah, Abraham's wife, um, yep. and that you could kind of call that a nightmare. Maybe like he wakes up distressed from it, and he's sure. he's bothered. Um, you have Joseph. Joseph, yep. you know, Joseph interprets dreams, and he's given dreams, and Pharaoh has nightmares that he that he's distraught over you have Nebuchadnezzar and he has nightmares that he's distraught over. And those are all instances where God is using those things, but there's nothing, there's no, uh, what we would call a, there's no systematic theology for nightmares in scripture. So there's no like rules to play by, you know, there's, there's no like books that, you know, talk about if then, uh, sort of rules, in regard to dreams or nightmares. Um, we don't really see God explicitly speaking about nightmares in scripture. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, and, and, and so I would say because of that, there's really no evidence that nightmares are demonic. Um, you know, there's, there's no evidence that demons are inside of our heads. Um, there's evidence that demons can get inside of our bodies, but there's no evidence that demons can get inside of our heads. That doesn't mean that, you know, they couldn't say whisper to you or something. I don't know. But, you know, the scripture doesn't really speak um, explicitly to that. But it's all kind of going to be the same in regard to nightmares. It's going to be an issue of how we deal with whatever circumstance we're in. So our, if we're in the circumstance of our mind versus if we're in the circumstance of the physical world, um, the way that I would counsel that in my years as a pastor is really dependent upon the same principles of um, following the, the spirit and how it, it guides us. Uh, and that applies in your dreams as much as it applies in the waking world. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You have thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I know that there's instances where um your nightmares might not actually mean anything and then sure. we put meaning into them and so we'll allow them to justify uh reasons behind our actions but it's just not true 
Um, one thing that's really interesting to me, though, is just those dreams that, those nightmares that occur, um, like, very specifically, and uh, you recognize it uh, to the very detail over and over again. Right. And, you know, they're hard to ignore. Um, you would think, well, these have to mean something. What am I doing in my life to keep these, keep having these nightmares, you know? Right, so recurring, like basically recurring dreams. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that's all about. And um... when I was a when I was a kid, like a like an actual kid, like I think six or seven, I used to have this recurring dream that I would walk up the stairs to my parents' bedroom, and I could hear the TV on in their bedroom, and the Wicked Witch of the West would all of a sudden fly above me, uh, you know, like over the stairwell, would fly like above me out. And then I'd run up to my parents' bed, and um, I had that dream over and over and over again, and I still remember it to this day. Yeah, I don't think it means anything. Just it's interesting because something like that, I have a, a reoccurring dream when I was a kid, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really mean much to me. Mine was about my grandmother, mm-hmm. but I was never afraid of my grandmother. Mm-hmm. I really loved her, and I respect her. But it's sad because those dreams, like, made me a little, like, timid around her, but then I warmed up afterwards. Well, I see that's, I I think that that's the key, is that, you know, we have to take everything based upon its fruit. And I don't, God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, you know? Yeah. So if something is from God, it's not going to make us afraid. It might make us, um... Uh, cautious, you know, but there's a difference between cautiousness, which is essentially saying, I know there's danger that way, so I'm not going to head that way. Right. I'm not afraid of that danger. I just, that's not the right thing to do. That's not wise. It's not being a good steward of, like, my body, for instance, if I know that that route means imminent death. Sure. (laughs) But that's not the same thing as fear, right, and timidity. And I think that when we talk about nightmares and we talk about that sort of thing, what we're really what we really need to hold on to again you know going back to what we were talking about is the leading of the spirit in regard to to trying to trying to understand whether something comes from god um goes back to understanding its connection to wow i can't open my my app um it goes back to its connection to the fruit it produces in your life and you know that that timidity and fear is definitely not from God. Um, now, I don't know that that means that it's from like a supernatural source. It, it could just be from you. Um, but I know that the answer is always going to be the same, even in dreams. And I know that people might find this hard to believe or weird to believe or whatever. But, you know, there's a whole study involved in dreaming and a whole field of dreaming called lucid dreaming where people can have control in their dreams. Mm-hmm. Um I think that it's a false narrative to think that uh, because you're in your dream state, you don't have some sort of control um, over the the way in which you think about things, the way in which you process information that you're seeing. It is it's strange information, you know. It's like almost like a Lewis Carroll novel, like Alice in Wonderland. But how? But you're still you. 
um, you're still – your mind is the same mind that's awake. It's not like you're different people. And so I think that there's a responsibility in your dreams to do simple things uh, like maintain the fruit of the spirit, to believe it or not, to not sin. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you have an opportunity in your dreams where you're just going around doing um, – like I think of that – what is that one song? It's like uh, – Dream, 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 dream. When I want you, it, I, I close my eyes, you know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no. I'm thinking of a different song. Whenever I want you, all I have to do is dream. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I heard that one. I was thinking of when I think about you, touch myself. That's mm. what I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. Very similar. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that that actually excuses behavior. I don't. Um, and that's not to say that you should necessarily feel guilty um, because you're kind of like a child in your dreams. You don't have the level of control in your dreams that you do in the waking world. That being said, uh, your spirit, your spirit should still want to, to be giving to God. And I'll tell you that like in my dream state, um, you know, I've had encounters where I think that they're demonic and I'll call upon God in my dream state. And I think that's, you know, I've worked to condition my heart to call upon God in, in, in places, whether it's in physical places or in my dreams or in my mind, where right. I feel under stress. And I think that being in your – God is as much a part of your dream state as he is a part of the waking world. Exactly. Uh, so I think that people – you can't – you don't get a free pass on that and you – not only do you not get a free pass if you have an inappropriate understanding in your dream state, um, and like I said, if you think that's ridiculous or whatever, like you can learn to lucid dream. So research that before you think it's ridiculous. But second of all, um, I think then that means that, that there is a level of accountability to our behaviors. So when we talk about alcoholism, when we talk about alcoholism and we say that the dream state made me an alcoholic, I think that's a real dangerous territory to be in. Yeah. I think that more than likely, it's the other way around. Right. It's that you're – because you're an alcoholic, you are having a hard time processing in your dream state the waking world. That's that that snake biting the tail. Yeah, the or, the Ouroboros. Yeah, yeah, and Ouroboros. so I, you know, and we we can get into alcoholism here in in just a minute. But before but before we do that, I want to unpack um, I want to unpack the the whole concept of the mind and sort of talk about that. Uh, so you know, I mean, let's take a look at Philippians four six through seven. Um, and we'll just yeah we'll talk about that. So Philippians four chapter six uh, or chapter yeah what Philippians four <laughs> verses six through seven. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done, and then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when I go back and I look at that statement and then I look at um, what Lori has to say, 
let me find it actually when I when I go back and I look at that statement and I, I look at what Lori has to say she says I know of one person who has it so bad so speaking of so bad what is the biblical perspective on nightmares that are so bad that they haunt your waking hours I know of one person who has it so bad that it makes her depressed during the day and has driven her to alcoholism well again I would really question whether it drove her to alcoholism or her alcoholism drove her to nightmares. So that's the first thing that I would question. But the second thing I would say is that the answer to it is pretty much going to be the same. If you think this is a problem and you want to solve this problem, it's not just about turning to God. And I think people don't understand that. It's not just about turning to God. Um, but it is also... Uh, putting to use what it is that he's given you the ability to focus the ability to understand good things right focusing your mind on the things that are lovely and pure the things that are um of good report and when you do that that's when the anxiousness that's when the anxiety leaves you behind so i mean the question i would have is can you honestly say that you're not worried about anything? Like this person who's having these these dreams um, and claiming that they're bringing, uh, you know, that it's bringing her friend to alcoholism. Can you honestly say that that friend isn't worrying about anything and that really there's nothing going on in her physical world that is corrupting her dream state and so now her dream state is so terrible? Isn't it a much more likely story that her physical world is already corrupted because her mind is focused on things that aren't of God? Right. And I think that that's really the biblical model and that that's really the biblical model for for where a lot of our problems come come into play. And it is it's circular. So I understand why a person might I understand why a person might confuse what precipitates the other, right? A person might say that the dream causes the alcoholism, but they're not looking deep enough into it, right? They're looking at the presentation of the problem um, as alcoholism, and they, they know that the depression that comes from the thoughts that they can't get away from even when they sleep is causing them, you know, to, to seek out alcohol. But what they're not looking at is the practices that cause the presentation that causes the problem, right? Yeah. And then when they're not looking at the practices, they're not looking at the perspective. And so what's the perspective that causes the practices that causes the, 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 the presentation of the problem? And this is – you have to understand that this is – you're only looking at one one part of it. Nobody wakes up and becomes an alcoholic because they, you know, because they uh, had a bad dream or even a series of bad dreams. If you, if you went to a psychologist, they would probably say that you have some sort of PTSD, right? Some sort of post-traumatic stress that you have – that's manifesting itself in your dreams – and that is causing you to lose sleep and causing you to have no hope and so on and so forth. And so it has to be managed. It's not an issue of the dream causing the alcoholism. It's an issue of the alcoholism uh, fueling or 
how, how would I say this? Numbing the fact that you don't, that you haven't solved a, a deeper perspective issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I I would challenge that friend, and I would say, what what are the practices that are causing your your problem to present itself this way? What are the practices where you're not focusing? And so you know. This is an issue of the mind. So in the mind, what does your mind focus on? Is it, is it focused on the things that are good? Is it anxious for nothing? Clearly not. Why? Why do we know that? Because you're blaming the state of your mind upon the dream state. Yeah. Right? You're afraid to go to sleep. So what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the beautiful day that it's outside? Or are you focusing on the fact that you don't want to sleep? Right? Or these these horrific things that you see whenever you close your eyes. So that's the first thing um, to consider is what are you doing with your mind when you're focusing on those things? You have to you have to take your mind off of the things that are not of God, and you have to put it onto the things that are of God. And how do we do that? I, we can say don't worry about anything, but that's really not enough, right? How do we not worry about everything? What do you think? Yeah, well, the first thing that I would say is the alcoholism isn't helping the situation. And that is just something that would um, give you something to look forward to and distract you from the actual problem itself. Right. Um, So it's like a pleasure. You know, it's like a good feeling look forward to drinking and feeling drunk and that way you don't have to worry about going to sleep because you just pass out right and you don't have to dream about anything because you're drunk but or at least you don't have to remember yeah i don't have to remember it or whatever and it's um it's not dealing with the actual problem and then on top of it it seems like that 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 vicious cycle um has an excuse and that is because you have nightmares or you have nightmares because you drink alcohol. Either way, it's still a circle that you aren't, um, you're refusing to try to get out of. Um, it's like you're comfortable there. But, um, yeah, the way you get out of that, um, it's, there's actually a lot of ways. Um, what helps is praying before you go to sleep or reading your Bible before you go to sleep. Um, also trying creative ways to be selective about what you dream about. Mm-hmm. And so you can, like, as you're falling asleep and you find, like, these dark dreams, take control of it. Your spirit is stronger than those spirits. And so you can totally change what you're thinking about and think of something that is not alcohol, but something that does give you some sort of good feeling or some so- sort of emotions that uh, is recognizable from you know maybe some past uh moment or uh, yeah think about the good times something nice think about memories yeah something that you enjoy doing or um you know stay awake writing down the things that are making you upset putting them in out there on paper or something and then um falling asleep or reading a book or like watching a little show or something like the office you know or, uh, yeah, there's so many things you can do. You need to take control of your life, though. That's the first step. Um, 
and don't allow your life to be controlled by alcohol because it will do that. It's super easy to do that. There's a reason why it's probably one of the biggest addictions out there right now. So that would be the first step is to take control of it. Yeah, I would say – so going back to uh, Philippians 4, it's exactly what Jake said, right? Let everyone see that you're considered and all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, yeah. right? So there we have that. And I snuck in that verse before because I think it's important to understand that we have hope in Christ, right? If you're one of those people who's listening and you are – you know, you're not a believer – you're going to have a hard time understanding this. But go back and look at church history, and you'll see that believers through the centuries haven't had a problem with dying. In fact, if you go back even like into the deep church history, there was a time where the, um, the leadership of the church had to tell people to stop allowing themselves to be killed because so many Christians were willing to die under the hand of Rome Mm-hmm. Um, that they were they they were worried about it. Um, so in, in in any case, uh, the reason why we have that hope is because we take scripture seriously, right? Scripture says that Jesus will return, and when he does return, that is when our like true release happens from this world. So there's something to look forward to. There's hope. Our hope isn't in the next paycheck. It isn't in the next relationship. It isn't in the next big thing. It isn't in post-COVID. It isn't in – which, by the way, I'm not sure there really is a post-COVID, so that's a whole thing. But, uh, you know, it isn't in any of those things. It's not in, you know, when I get my new car, when I get my new girlfriend, when I get my new facelift, when I get my new – you know, when I win the lottery or, you know, however people do that. It's not in those things. It's in the return of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. that's what the hope is, and it is a transcendent hope. So it's not based on uh, man's timing. It's based on God's timing. And so that's kind of – that's like step zero, right? Everything in our faith is based around it. Paul says if – basically if the gospel message wasn't there, if Christ hadn't resurrected from the dead and everything that that means, then we would be – Christians would be the most to be pitied. But – because we have that, because it's a, it's a truth, uh, we have something to look forward to. And that should be the first thing that informs everything. It's ground zero for everything. But then after that, pray. Mm-hmm. You know, Don't worry about things. Pray about them. W- what's involved in prayer? What's involved in prayer is telling God what you need, right? So that's confession, right? You go to God and you say, look, this is, this is where I'm coming from. These are my deepest thoughts. These are my darkest thoughts. Yeah. And being willing to say that to him. And I think so many people hide from their deep and dark thoughts uh, before God and before man. Once you expose that stuff, it's a lot easier to talk about it with other people. It really is. Um, and then the second half of that, which I think is a really important half, is then thank him for all that he's done. This is what people really forget, right? Yeah. So they will say, they'll come to God and they'll be like, okay, I know you're coming again, blah, blah, blah. Every generation thinks that. (laughs) And then they'll be like, okay, God, this is what I'm dealing with, you know, and it's like so terrible for me. Nobody says to God, or very few people say to God, 
thank you for what I'm dealing with. Right. Thank you for the world you've given me. Thank you for the things that I'm dealing with, all the bad things that have come my way because I know that they make me a better person. Yeah, I found that uh, I don't really hear that very often, but when I do hear it, um, it, it would be coming from somebody you would never expect it from. It's like uh, maybe somebody that had um, that had to struggle their whole life, and you know they made it through, and so now everything that they say to God is thank you. Yeah, type of situation. Right, and I and I think that 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 piece is really what needs that's those three pieces really need to inform who you are as a person and people people who are experiencing addiction are not people who are thankful this is the thing yeah. what they are is they are curved inward on themselves victimized yeah and they're living in their victim status there's something that has you know that something real don't get me wrong there's something real that's been very, very hard for them. Mm -hmm. But instead of looking outward from themselves, they are looking inward. And this is part of, you know, every sort of successful 12-step program or whatever you want to, you know, the, the various methods in which uh, people have gotten sober. It all has to do with stopping the um, turning inward on yourself and looking outward at other things, you know, forgiving people, like basically not holding on to what it is that you have. Well, the Bible takes it a step further. It gives us a transcendent hope in Christ's return, right? And so that's what makes that that's what makes that fundamentally more powerful and stay. But the idea is there, um, and we confess to God who is transcendent also, not just to another human being, but to God who is transcendent. And then we thank him and we can thank him because he is transcendent. We can thank him for anything and everything because we're his creation. Everything is his creation. Mm -hmm. So, so it's good to confess to other people. It's good to put hope in other things. It's good to give thanks, but it in comparison to actually doing that with God, um, barely scratches the surface of where we're supposed to be as people. But right after this statement, Paul says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we understand. And his peace then will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when we're talking about this, notice he says your hearts and minds. He doesn't say your bodies, which would have been ridiculous for him to say, right? Because this was written during the Roman era, and I can't remember, but Paul himself, he – I can't remember if Paul wrote this as a prison epistle or not. But he was constantly either being uh, you know, hunted by the Jews or being uh, persecuted uh, or, or being um, – Stoned. Yeah. He's, you know, he was constantly being persecuted in some way, either by, sometimes by the government itself. Right. So, and he had all sorts of things whipped and stoned and beaten and, and all sorts of things. So, you notice he doesn't say your body. This is a promise about the mind and the way the mind works, right? Yeah. So, when we're talking about your sleep, this applies, guys. And I know that that, that might seem like a big, uh, a big promise, but this isn't, um, this isn't a, a meme, you know, it's not it's not a cliche. It's not it's not something to make you feel good. This is this is a formula by which 
you can take action in your life. So I would ask this person, Lori, I would say to this person, you're saying that the alcohol – and you know, find a way to do this where it shows how much you truly love them because obviously you truly do, right? Um, I hope. So – but I, I, would ask, I would ask this person, Lori, what, um, what are you doing? Yeah, do you want to continue – what are you like thinking? That. Yeah, what are you thinking about every day? Are you confessing to God where your heart is? And then, secondly, are you um, are you thankful for what you have, or are you constantly thinking about what you don't have, mm-hmm. what was taken from you, how you've been hurt, so on and so forth? And I'm not saying I. And let's be clear. You can do that without having a smile on your face. Oftentimes having a smile on your face is just a sign that you're hiding what is really going on deep inside in your heart, right? You can be thankful to God without having a smile on your face. You can be thankful to God while weeping in tears, while feeling the complete pain um, of of the things that have happened to you. Right. Um I'm not saying that you have to that you that you have to walk around. I mean, Christ Himself. I'm not saying that you have to walk around like a smile on, with a smile on your face. Christ Himself, you know, was the most victimized person in the history of victims, and he and he like let God know that it was a burden, and history records for us that it was a burden for him. I'm not saying that you can't express your burden, but Where's your thanks? It's got to be all of those things. And, and I, I, would, I would venture to guess that your thanks is what's missing. Um, I don't know. But I would venture to guess that the thanks is what's missing. And so... It's just in the fruit. Like, if there was thanks, she wouldn't or he wouldn't try to um, blur it out of their life with alcohol. Right. And so that is the next... That's the next step, right? What is alcoholism and where does alcoholism come from? And what is – what's its relationship here and why is it being ascribed to being um, – you know, why is it being ascribed to coming from having bad dreams? So the first point – so let's be clear to wrap up the nightmare sort of <laughs> portion of it. I know we've been talking about this for kind of a long time, which is cool, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh so on, on the on the first side of it, it there is a practice of um actually let me let me give you an anecdote real quick here. So when Goldeneye first came out, the video game. So the Nintendo 64, okay? When Goldeneye first came out, um we we you know, we played it and played it and played it, right? And we would we didn't own a copy of it. We rented it. Actually, we had a friend who worked at Hollywood Video and she would let us um quote unquote rent it. And so anyway, so we'd get our copy of Goldeneye and play it and occasionally because it saves to the cartridge, you know, we yeah. would, we would uh, get the same copy, which was awesome. That's cool. Anyway, the long and short of it is I would dream about it. Mm. You ever been doing something a lot and you then dream about it? Military. Jumping on a trampoline. Right. 
And then you ever have those experiences where what? <laughs> and then you, you ever have those experiences where you always call back to your negative dreams or negative experiences. Like for instance, when I'm really stressed, my dreams are about like working a, like a 16-hour shift at um the theater that I worked at, you know, or like uh things like that or being in high school and like having a paper that's due. Oh yeah. Right? Why does this happen? The reason why it happens is because the mind is lazy. And it's – well, you could say it's lazy. Some people would call it efficient. I call it lazy. So the mind is lazy and it chooses to go down paths that it's gone down before. So while you're working on things, the mind is, is – when you're not working on things, the mind goes down whatever paths it it is going down during the day. And I think that there is something to this. I think that if you spend your day thinking about what was bad, then when you sleep, you're going to think about what was bad. Mm-hmm. If you spend your day pretending that you're not thinking about something that is bad, then you're still going to go down the path of doing uh, – of bad things because that's really where your heart is. Right. Wherever your heart is, that's where – you know. that sounds like such a cliché. Wherever your heart is, there your dreams are. Um, <laughs> so, Inspiring. right, especially since we're talking about nightmares. Um, so, yeah. So, focus on God. That's that's really what I was going to say. If you spend your day giving thanks to God, focusing on His ministry and His work, and um, doing that, then when you're sleeping, where do you think your mind will go? Yeah. It'll go on doing his ministry and his work and, you know, praising him. Right. Um, there is a key element that is uh, that needs to be apparent there. Mm-hmm. And that's joy, the joy factor. Yeah. So you could be doing that all day, but if you are completely... It's not where your heart is. If you're not is. completely in it, then it's not going to happen. Right, if it's not where your heart is. And I think that, that that is a good point because there are people who they slog away at ministry. Yeah. Right? That's all they do is ministry. But their heart isn't in it, and there is no joy in what they give. It's not the first fruit. It's not right. It's not a worthy sacrifice, as we say in the industry. And, <laughs> yeah, as we say in the industry, it's not a worthy sacrifice. And I think that, you know, those people, even though they look religious – there's no potency, one might call it impotent, there's no potency to to their spirituality. And so because of that, you know, in their hearts, they're not actually, there's no joy, their heart is more on the grumbling side, on the yeah. resenting side, mm-hmm. and... Looking forward to the break. Right, exactly, living for the weekend. You're right. Yeah, so, um, so I think the first half of that is, you know, you there's no there's there's no precedent to say that god um that nightmares are the work of the devil that's that's there's no precedent to say that nightmares are the work of the devil but we know enough about hum about humanity to say that if you are constantly having those things then you probably in somewhere in your life are holding on to a certain path of thought that you need to confess and you need to repent so what are you holding on to? And for the record, that doesn't mean that you know that you're doing it. Right. So 
uh, that's when you talk to people, right? That's when you talk to another believer or you talk to – yeah, you talk to another believer and you read your scriptures. You look for insight that will tell you that. And you know what? Ask God to reveal it to you. Right. You might just find that you were holding on to something for a long time. Um, I'll give you a hint. If you ever if you ever start talking to somebody about these things and you come across a subject that you feel like you don't need to share with them, that yeah. probably is the very subject that you should that's causing you to have those problems. Or you start feeling anger or right. putting a wall up. Right. Definitely right. break that down. Right, it's Express hard. It's yourself. hard to solve problems when when you don't want to solve problems. Yeah, like we can solve every problem except the one that's actually causing a problem. That one's off limits. I wanted to ask you just to bring it back to the beginning of this conversation. We're yeah. talking about us as kids. Um, can you think of anything that you may have been resenting as a child that may have brought up nightmares? Because I can definitely think of at least one thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I mean I was always creeped out by that, but I didn't I didn't um there was no presentation problems. So what I mean by that is I didn't become an alcoholic. Yeah. Because I dreamed of the wicked witch of the west. <laughs> and I also didn't have a, a problem with going to sleep. There was no presentation. It manifested no fruit. So I you know, and, and let me be clear. I think that's a really good clarification. I'm not saying that every nightmare means you have some sort of repressed issue. I'm saying that when, at your, when you're at the point where you're claiming that because you have nightmares, the fruit in your life is dependent upon those nightmares, that's when I have to question what is causing those things to be that case. Right. Now, is it possible there's some sort of demonic activity? Yeah, but... The other thing is demonic activity needs a foothold. Yeah. So, again, what are you not confessing? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what caused me to dream about the Wicked Witch of the West. Well, I remember being a kid and having this, like, crazy theory that it was, like, parents versus children. Uh-huh. Because uh, I felt like anything that I would get in trouble for was completely innocent. Mm-hmm. And so I'd just be getting yelled at, and I'm like, I'm I did nothing wrong. Yeah. So I would have that, you know, that sort of rebellion yeah. at a young age. Yeah. And so then I would have these nightmares. That's where they would probably find their way through the doors. My, yeah. My hardened heart to yeah, yeah. accept my consequences. Well, and I think we're all kind of that way, especially uh, uh, anti-authority. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. So anyway, um, the phone number is 971-208-5290. Uh, 971-208-5290. Pick up the phone and text Jacob uh, and let us know your thoughts. Um, we Yeah, he's got, he's got that phone on him. Um, but before we move on to suicide, I want to talk a little bit about alcoholism. And it all, it all kind of like blends into to the same subject, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, when we're talking about alcoholism, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because I do want to talk about the suicide, and we're past 10 o'clock. I know we started a little bit late because we had some internet problems. But um, when we're talking about alcoholism, what we're really talking about all in all, okay? So there's a lot of different ways you can approach this, but what we're talking about all in all 
is very much an, a problem of worship. So why – so when we talk about the nightmares, for instance, how we got there, we talk about the nightmares. You know, the person's drinking because they're trying to um, subdue the nightmares, right? Yeah. Where should the person be finding their strength against those nightmares? Well, in, in Scripture, God's Word. Right, in God, right? Yeah. So this person, this person is drinking, is claiming that the reason why they're drinking is because of the nightmares, right? Well, no. If they're having nightmares, that should be, I, I'm, I'm reading my Bible more. Yeah. Right? It's I'm reading my Bible more. I'm more involved in the church. I'm doing community work. Like, I'm reaching out, right? That is what should happen if that person's heart is focused in the right place, is focused on God. The issue is that person is not focused on God. Yeah. And this is why I say it's a worship issue. Because when we talk about alcoholism, um, the scripture has a term for that. It's called drunkenness. We have this medical model of approaching things, which, by the way, is not biblical. And we like to say that the problems come from uh, without. But in reality, it's something that's actually spawning from within. It's drunkenness. And so when we talk about alcoholism and we're talking about drunkenness in particular – or drunkenness and we're talking about alcohol in particular, what we're talking about is a focus, a refocusing of worship. It's basically saying – that, no, God, you're not big enough to solve my issues. Um, this alcohol is. And so I'm going to, instead of think about the things that are lovely and pure and to give thanks to you and confess my sins, I'm going to confess my sins to a bottle. And I'm yeah. going to um, confess my sins to a bartender even, right? That's, sure. that's like a normal thing to the, the priest of the, uh, the temple of alcohol. Yeah. I'm going to confess my sins to a bartender. I'm going to drink down the spirit of alcohol, of liquor, instead of the Holy Spirit. And I am going to um, put my money toward this, my time toward it, my focus. And that's really what alcoholism is. Alcoholism is the misuse of alcohol, right, to the point where it habitually affects your life in a negative way. Well, what you're supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be giving those things to God, your first thought on God, not on getting drunk, right? Your first thought is on being filled with the Holy Spirit and doing right by God and being active in the world that he wants you to be active in, in the way that he wants you to be active in and giving thanks to him for all of these things. But instead, what's happening, what's happening here is giving thanks to alcohol. You know, imbibing, giving thanks to alcohol, spending money on it, spending time on it to the point where now it's negatively affected your life. And you're saying that it's because of the dreams. But no, it's because of your heart. Yeah. Your heart is not is not oriented toward God in worship. That's the real problem. Um, and there are a lot more specifics that we can get into in regard to alcoholism and in regard to drunkenness. But at the end of the day, and specifically for what we're talking about, it is a worship issue. So what does worship look like? It looks like confession and thanks, which is exactly what Paul says that is what we need to do if we want to have the peace of God that uh, defies all understanding. 
right? Mm-hmm. So, so Lori, your friend is not an alcoholic because they have bad dreams. Your friend is an alcoholic because they're not worshiping God. They have bad dreams. Um, you know, they have bad dreams habitually, probably because they don't worship God. It could be a whole bunch of other things. But the alcoholic, the alcoholism part really uh, uh, exposes the hand that they have, which is that in their heart, they're not worshiping God. Yeah. There was something that you were alluding to that I really wanted to hit on the head. Um, but basically it's like, um, when they do have those problems, they do the opposite of, uh, sharing them, but they bottle them up. That's right. Inside, yeah. Right. And, uh, so when they're drinking alcohol, they look forward to the good stories that come with having a drunk night or like a yeah. drinking night or, um, sharing that with their friends that also drink like that. Or, um, yeah, they just look forward to being able to suppress the real, the realness of a situation. And then right. once that realness comes, it's disgusting. It's like, I don't want to mess with that. Right. I, I'm just, I'm going to, it's an excuse to drink. Yep. You know, so it's kind of like flip that around. Um, and then you'll find like, you want to be sober in everything that happens. And then the thought of like getting drunk is almost absurd. It doesn't make any sense to do that. Right. And those who worship God and who have a heart that's oriented toward God are told not to be drunk. You know, yeah. in, in ancient cultures, at least they were honest about their superstitions and their um, debauchery, right? And they, you know, they had a god of wine, Dionysus. And the way that he was worshipped was by imbibing. It was by drinking and, you know, having drunken, passionate this or that, right? Orgies and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And when Paul writes against that, he writes specifically, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. And what he was talking about, people think that that's just a reference to drinking, but really it's not. It's a reference to worship. The idea was was that in order for them to be thankful, in order for them to to um, live passionately, they would fill themselves with wine. They would get drunk. And so this is how they would live their lives in these drunken parties where, that would lead into sinful behavior, right? And so Paul isn't just saying don't get drunk, but he's saying specifically don't get drunk to worship. Yeah. If you want to worship, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, keep your mind on and be filled with the Holy Spirit, not turn it off. And I think people don't people don't really understand um, the connection there between true worship of God and peace of mind and protection of heart. Yeah, um, they don't really understand it and they also don't see the point because they don't see God. Right. They don't understand who God is. Right. And so so sobriety becomes an act of worship. It's not that see the thing is is people think people don't understand it's not about um finding something to worship. 
the truth is is that you already have something to worship right and you always have we are worshipful beings this is what we do you know whether we worship money we worship food we worship sex we worship you know television entertainment whatever it is we are worshipful beings and we are going to give our worship to something mm -hmm. no matter what so if you're not giving your worship to God, you will always give your worship to something less than God, which will cause you to become depressed because that's not what you were made for. Yeah. So give your worship to God. And that's what I would suggest to Lori. Tell your friend, you know, in a loving way, take a hard look at your stance on worship. Stop lying about the fact that you are not worshiping God with all of your heart and your mind and your soul because you're not sober. Sobriety is is an act of worship. Right. As sad as it sounds, giving your worship to anything that isn't God, that's worldly, is going to drain you because it's selfish. It's going to take your worship and keep it with itself and run with it. And you won't ever be fulfilled by that. You only become fulfilled by the Holy Spirit and the effect that God has on you as it cha as He changes your heart. Yeah. So let's 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 switch gears here. Uh, the number is nine seven one two zero eight five two nine zero. Remember, you can always uh, text or call that number, and you can also get us some anonymous talk to talk about like we've been talking about Lori's topic and in just a few minutes we'll talk about um, Miranda's topic on suicide um, mm -hmm. so we'll yeah we can talk about your topics your anonymous topics um, you can also uh, email us at counseling at abfpdx.org um, and you can reach out to us on Facebook. We have uh, Facebook chats that should be available in our bios all over the place. And you can DM us and PM us or you know whatever it is. Um, but let's pull out another would you rather um, and then we'll hit Miranda's comments. Okay. One more would you rather here. Let's do two. Well, Dose. let's get crazy. We're Dose. Real crazy. All right. We're, We're pulling a deuce. Okay. Okay. Would you rather talk to the – well – a different one because I just did this one. Would Are you, you pulling them out the middle? Well, I, I'll do that. You gotta pull them out the middle, Jake. I don't remember how to use these cards. All right. Okay. Would you rather be the smartest person in the country, or, or be able to teleport anywhere? Oh, teleport easy. It's so easy. Jumper. Well, that'd be awesome. Yeah. If you're the smartest person in the country, imagine the responsibilities. Okay? It's true. Being the smartest person in the country is not all it's cracked up to be. Also, it's not wise. It's smart. There's nothing good that comes from smart. You just oh, end up that's, looking. That's good, Jake. You, you don't really, you don't really make a lot of followers by being smart. You make a lot of enemies. But being wise, people will listen to what you want to you have to say. That is also a really wise that. comment. That's yeah, that's good. No, but teleporting anywhere. Can you imagine, guys? I thought about this. Can you imagine the ability? Like, I want to go to Disneyland. Oh Boom, I'm gosh. there. Hey, I wouldn't even have to pay the ticket price. I could just pop myself into uh, the Abraham Lincoln exhibit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good place. I feel like that's yeah. a good place to spawn. You'd have to like, but you'd have to. <laughs> you just spawn in a roller coaster as it's going. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or like, you know, I want to, I want to, I feel like going to this bistro in Paris. <laughs> I step out the door and I'm there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, today. I'm going to go somewhere sunny. Well, I'll I go know. to Italy to get some real spaghetti. Yes. Well, uh, it's not that great in Italy. I'll Dang be honest it. with you. Pasta. Pasta's good. Pasta's good. All and right. then, Fredicini. The, and the other thing I'll say is it would be great in death situations. Oh, yeah. Like, imagine, like, let's say you're falling to your death. You just, you know, open a portal, boom. Right. You know, you're, 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 the, you're in an airplane that's going down. You're in the ocean and you're stuck, you know? Like, oh, man, there's so many applications for that. Here's a theory. If you, okay, let's say there are um, a multi, there's a multiverse. Could you spawn in the multiverse? A universe, right? I would assume that you'd be locked into the reality that you're a part of, but I don't know. Oh. Well, what if you were able to just think of something and you would spawn to that? So your imagination. Then you would create a multiverse and you would spawn there. If you thought of something that you wanted to go to, just like anything else, you would be able to spawn to anywhere you could possibly imagine. Yes. Let's spawn back into the conversation. <laughs> okay. Here's the next one. Okay. Would you rather have five missing teeth or have knees that always hurt when you walk? Well, I have one of those things. I know. I'm the same boat as Jacob. Uh, dentures, are, dentures are a real uh, workable thing, and uh, knee replacement surgery is, is, you know, is not as good as dentures, so. Yes. Yeah, that's my answer for that. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Hey, let me just uh, mention on Monday nights, the Nightlight is on. This is Nightlight Radio, uh, but on Monday nights, we are still hard at work, your Nightlight team, me and Jacob and Justine. And, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to us then, if you need prayer um, or you just want to chat, like, that's a good time to reach out to us. You won't be on the air, um, and we can we can talk then. So phone number still the same set up a counseling appointment or or anything like that so that's monday nights from about eight o'clock right or nine nine to eleven yes <laughs> it's nine to eleven <laughs> okay it's it's nine it's nine to eleven on monday nights so feel free to reach out to us um yeah so uh let's let's talk about miranda here all right um i'll read this one okay you got it cool uh, can you talk about suicide? What's the biblical perspective? What's going on with that mindset? What leads up to it? Right. So, suicide. When we're talking about suicide, we're talking about the, the taking of your own life, right? So let's define our terms here. We're talking about the taking of your own life. Um, and we're not talking about, say, assisted suicide. Although that is an interesting topic um, in regard to, like, quality of life um it's sort of a a new developing or new developing field i suppose if if you want to put it that way in the area of suicide but generally when we're talking about suicide we're talking about um end game problem solving here you know a zero sum solution um what i mean by zero sum is it's not good for anybody the outcome is not good for anybody uh scorched earth if you will so when we're talking about suicide and we're talking about the mindset, first of all, I I want to be clear that the mindset for suicide is 
a very real thing that people struggle with. Um, and I want to be careful with it because I, 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 I don't want people to um, think that what we're saying is that it's not real, you know? Um, obviously, when people kill themselves, they're really struggling. And I think the first thing that has to be addressed by anybody who wants to respond to that is the is a recognition of the fact that somebody is really struggling. Does that make sense? They ha you have to recognize that somebody is really struggling. You can't you can't be trite with it and be like, ah, oh, whatever. You know, you just need to suck it up, um, because that doesn't that doesn't really help. Um, people who have suicidal thoughts are people who need to be heard, um, and when they're not being heard, that's a problem. However, it's still a problem that needs to be solved. And, and if a person is reaching out, then that means that they want to solve it. And there is hope there. I think the answer is always going to be very similar in, in a lot of these situations where somebody is uh, suffering in the, in the mind and what, what they're dealing with um, emotionally and mentally right the answer is always going to be really similar it is in it's in understanding who god is and understanding who we are before god the difficulty with suicide is in the issue of uh, hope rather than it is in the issue of uh, worship yeah so you know, with something like alcoholism, a person is worshiping alcohol. With something like suicide, I think the issue is more having a lack of understanding of of who God is. Um, now we can we can take into a we can we can call that a worship issue, but I I don't because people people have a tendency to. Like, there's lots of people who worship without understanding who God is, essentially. And that doesn't mean their worship is insincere. It just means that it is, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's kind of ignorant. Um, God is just much bigger than the hats that we, that we place upon him uh, sometimes. And so I think a lot of this is not understanding God as he presents himself. So... The best way for a person to so, – so the issue, again, is, is on hope. Our God is a God of hope. And there's lots of moments in Scripture where we see that our God is the God who sees, that he's the God who provides. Um, so – and there's two, there's two names. So Jacob is, Jacob is in my chaplain class right now where I'm uh, teaching, teaching them uh, how to become counselors, right? Mm -hmm. So – do you remember what those names are, Jake? Uh, El Shaddai. Nope. Well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. El Shaddai is Almighty God, and there's a there is a uh, there's an idea in there that He provides. Yeah, but specifically, it's two other ones. I'm thinking. Mm. Now let me look it up to I have be to sure. Look that up I, my notes. Let me look it up to be sure that I'm correct. But I think. Producer Jasmine over here, who's also auditing my class, yep. uh, might be able to speak on it. Um, yeah. I know the one, who, the God who sees, is 
Jehovah El Roy. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other one is Jehovah, uh, what's it, Jireh? Uh-huh. I, I can't say for sure because I'm not looking at my notes, which is bad. But I have a good feeling about both these things. Yes, so Jehovah El Roy is the God who sees. Um, and then the other one is, is Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. Nice. Um, let me just find... I'm looking for the actual, um, looking for the actual thing here. That's the, yeah, it's, it's the God who provides. And so, so Jehovah Jireh is, comes, comes from the story of the binding of Isaac. Um, and specifically that Isaac was taken to Mount Moriah to be killed as God had told Isaac or God had told Abraham to take Isaac up to the mountain to be killed. But the intention of God was to spare Isaac, but he also wanted Abraham to like basically pledge fealty because up to this point, Abraham had been following God, but he had never really followed God. It was like he followed God, but he sort of, um, didn't you know like for instance he was he was told to go into uh egypt and he pretended i think it was egypt i think it was egypt that sounds right uh but he was told to go into a couple different places actually and he you know presented his wife as his sister which wasn't technically a lie they were like half or step or something like that right but uh you know he did things that were real shady that a god-fearing man wouldn't do um, like for instance, getting Hagar pregnant in order to get a son, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, um, anyway, so, you know, at some point in his life, God wanted, you know, him to, I don't know, make right on the fact that he was a follower of him. And so he calls him to bring Isaac up and Isaac was the child of promise that God had promised him, you know? And so... So he tells him to bring Isaac up to be killed, to be given back to God. Now that God God gave him the son, he wants the son back, basically. But he didn't it wasn't God's intentions to take the son. And so Abraham takes the son up to the mountain and then uh and and follows through with it. And just before he can follow through with it, God sends an angel to stop him from doing it, and then he provides him a ram in place. Uh, of this uh, sacrifice can still be given. And so in this story, you see that Abraham like finally completes his like journey of like actually following God the way that God wants to be followed. And he's like even willing to give up the son that God gave him in order to do that. But God provides for him instead. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have this name, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, right? The other, the other aspect of that sort of on the flip side of it is that, um, uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Abraham and Sarah, really Sarah, had kicked out Hagar and her son Ishmael, um, who who Abraham and Sarah provided for themselves. Um, they did that by Abraham getting Hagar pregnant. It was part of a whole deal in the culture. It was acceptable or whatever, but it wasn't what God had wanted. And so... Um, they kicked him out once they kicked Ishmael and Hagar out once Isaac came along. And so basically Hagar is wandering, wandering, dejected, and she feels, you know, 
she feels trapped and abandoned and used and all these things that are actually true. And um, God listens to her, you know? And uh, so the name for God here is Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees. This is also the God who saw the, uh, the, the Israelites 400 or so years, you know, later um, enslaved in um, actually more than 400 years. But anyway, they were enslaved in Egypt and he saw their pain and they cried out to him. So this is the God who sees. And I think when we're talking about suicide, there's, there seems to be a definite misunderstanding about the character of God that he isn't in the problem with us that that somehow he's turned his back there's a there's a niche um there there is a i don't want to call it a meme that's the only word that comes to mind well it's just late you know it's like 10:30 and i'm like winding down in my brain um but uh there's a commonality of people who who are uh, in the mindset in the in the spectrum of suicide where they ask this question will anybody um would anybody know if i died hmm. have you ever heard that oh yeah or care yeah would anybody know would anybody care right and i think understanding that somebody cares is the beginning of of walking a person back from that mindset so the answer to it is yes, God cares. Um, God cares. God sees. God provides. And if you're a person who's thinking about suicide, I guess the question that I would have for you is, have you considered that God cares, that God sees, and that God provides? Um, because I think that if you consider that, uh, you might just change your mind about the thought process that you're on. The idea that the, the maker of the world, the one who, who knew you and formed you in the womb, the one who knows every hair on your head, knows what you're going through and is willing to help you in your time of need, is willing to, um, when you reach out to him, He's willing to speak back to you. In the words of Francis Schaeffer, he's there and he's not silent. Mm -hmm. um, I think the the thing you have to the thing you have to remember is when you reach out, you actually have to listen for an answer. Um, you can't isolate yourself in that process. So you know, have you considered that that God cares, and then are you really listening? Right. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think that a person who is having suicidal thoughts, the way to help them with that is, so first of all, no, they should not be having those, those thoughts. The way to help them with their suicidal thoughts is to emphasize the fact that God cares and that God provides. Um, God sets up mechanisms. He sets up a mechanism in uh, the scripture that demonstrates over history how it is that God has 
cared and provided for us. He sets up a mechanism in the church that de- that is supposed to demonstrate how God cares and has provided for us. And then he sets up the mechanism of the Holy Spirit that demonstrates how God cares and has provided for us. When these th- three things are compromised, we lose a trust of care. This is how we establish proper attachment, right? And so we lose a trust of care wherein we understand that God is our ultimate provider and that he does care about us. And so because we lose that, the world becomes unsafe for us. It becomes a place where we don't want to exist. And quite frankly, that's a rational thought. It's a rational thought process when we don't have that type of trust um, in our lives. So the first, so the way that you go to, to establishing that isn't to say, well, that's a dumb thought. You know, or isn't to say, no, you, you don't, um, you shouldn't be thinking like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's, that doesn't help people. You have to, you have to ask them to consider new facts. You know, here's a new fact. God actually does care about you. Here's where you can find that fact. Here's how this can be demonstrated. And I I truly believe that there will be a lot of judgment passed upon the church um, itself for um, believing that the expression of caring is, uh, and mostly maybe to the relegated church, but for believing that the expression of God's caring is the equivalent of giving somebody a handshake on a Sunday um, or offering them a, a barista. You know, right. like God cares about you. And that's why we got the best barista in town to come give coffee at our church. You know, God cares about you. And that's why we have a, a, a new system, a new sound system in our church or, you know, you can hear how much we care. About right. You. So you can hear how much we care. Um, no, the, the expression of our caring is going to be on a one on one level. Right. So especially if you're a congregation, and I pray that we never face this in our congregation. Um, I pray that we never drive anybody to, to a point of exasperation. But that's what it is, right? That's what it is, is that a person is so exasperated. They have so little – they have such little amount of hope um, in the discipline that God provides. They have such little amount of hope in the discipline that God provides um, that they, you know, think that it would be better to have never existed. For the record, like we we see that thought process in Scripture. Um, it's not a thought process that God entertains or likes, but He does speak to it. We see that thought that thought process with Jonah, where He makes this comment about you know. How it would have been better for him never to be been born rather than to see God show grace upon enemies. <laughs> what a dick. Um, and then uh, we also see it with Job. You know, Job says that it would have, it would have been better for him to die uh, in the womb um, than to have been born. Sort of a butterfly effect sort of thing going on there. The, the movie, not the actual um you know, scientific, philosophical idea. But uh, 
so God understands and he answers that, you know, and he answers that and basically says, what are you talking about? I'm in control of things. I do care about you. You are precious to me. You don't know what you're talking about. I think so. So I think the answer then is twofold. One is that we we need to reach out to people and um, who may who so if you see people who are reclusive, for instance, in your congregation or in life, you see you see people who are reclusive, and you see people who have no hope. Maybe they're extra sardonic or extra sarcastic, or um, overly happy to the point where it's really you know how you see those people who are like they seem like everything's fine but there's no depth to your interaction yeah they're kind of like dead behind the eyes car salesman yeah mm-hmm. so when we see when we see people like that dead behind the eyes mixed with car salesman <laughs> equals that, jasmine laughing during- Jake reminded you of a car salesman. Okay. But it's not funny. It's just. It's no, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> My brain thought it was. Okay. It's late, as Josh said. So everything's a meme. Okay. Back so. To it. What was I saying? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I have no idea what there I was saying. There are people that are overly excited. Ah, right. Okay. So basically, there are people that, when you see these people. Either the people that are like way too overly excited, but obviously are dead behind the eyes. Um, they're so you know their 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 excitement is them crying out for substantive interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you see these people who are like extra sarcastic and sardonic, and like they're hyper cynical. Sure. Um, you know when you see these extremes. Or you see people who just like on the face of it literally have no hope. Um, yeah. That uncomfortableness should not dissuade your interaction. In fact, it should persuade your interaction. Right? That's a person who you need to latch on to. And you need to show them the hope that you have in Christ. And you need to show them that you have a relationship with a God who sees you and provides for you. And they do too. They need to reach out to him. So, like, that's the first thing. People need to reach out. Um, they need to reach out, and the church needs to reach in to those people, if that's the right way of saying it. The church needs to reach out. <laughs> so, people need... <laughs> so, the church needs to reach out to those people. Yes. The church needs to reach out to those people. Secondly, um, what I would say is I think a lot of people don't get that interaction from God because they don't seek it. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who who come before God um, having never had a substantial experience with God in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is, you know, uh, the comforter for us. He's the paraclete. He's here. The, sorry, that's a fancy Greek term. Um, here we go. He's here to he's here to provide comfort for us, to bring peace upon us, to all of these things, right? So on the one hand, the Bible says that Christians are essentially the hands and feet of God, the body of Christ, right? 
in the world. And we're not, if we're not providing that to people to show them that God is real and is real in a meaningful way, in space and time, we can affect things, then how is anybody to actually know that? But then on top of it, those people, it's, it's, it's not enough to, to say, hey, you know, salvation is here to liberate you or whatever, and then to leave them behind. That, in fact, would make them even more depressed. What needs to happen is those people need to be called to have a personal relationship with the Spirit of God. And I think that that doesn't happen enough. I think people don't pray enough. They don't ask God into their life. They don't ask God to reveal himself to them. Um, and they're not taught to within churches. They're taught, you know, to come to Sunday, read your Bible and pray. But in, 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 in a meme sort of way for a meme culture. Um, instead of in a real substantive way yeah. where, you know, I need to have a relationship with the one true God who loves me, who sees me, who cares about me, and who's able to provide for me. So I think there's a lot that would go into, and I think we've barely scratched the surface of it, but um, but I do think it's the right place to start if you're going to unpack somebody's um, suicidal thought process, the first place is to, to unpack it in the sense of the hope um, in the nature of God, who he is, where you can find that both in scripture, in the world today as we know it, and even in your heart, um, and teach people to understand it. Once they understand that, they understand that they're not alone I think that that um, that correlation of people who feel alone um, and have nothing to live for um, will get rid of, you know, or at least will provide a large amount of victory in in the presence of suicidal thoughts. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but like i just i just want to say um there is also something to say about taking time away from people that are dragging you down yeah you know so there's like toxic people or um it doesn't matter like personality type wise it's all just subjective but um a lot of times any little interaction will be enough to exasperate somebody. Um, and like taking your, your energy away from that exasperating, uh, spirit and allowing yourself to connect with God will also 100% help you and understanding that you actually aren't alone. Um, so what that really looks like is reflection and understanding how God connected things to get you to the point you actually are in your life. And yeah. things that are random will actually start to make sense as to why they happened. Yeah. And you can begin to learn um, and get to know God's work for you in the passing times. Even though you found yourself in a super depressing place, it's still a beautiful thing to see how you got there and how it all connected, which will then allow you to see what steps are to take next before you decide to end it all. Right. You can see the work that's being done. Right, right, right. Well, I think that that's, 
yeah, I mean, what we're looking for here is a complete and total change in the way that you address the problem of um, meaninglessness, I suppose. You know, you've come to a conclusion in your life, somebody with suicidal thoughts, you're coming to maybe not a conclusion, but an inkling, right? That reality is worthless, it's meaningless. Um, there is a degree to which you need to lean in to the idea that that you're responsible for that, right? So on the one hand, it means you have to change the way you've thought about reality. But on the other hand, in order to change the way you've thought about reality, you're going to have to face reality. Yeah. And facing reality is going to tell you um, the truth of the relationships you have. And you might realize that the reason why you feel alone is because you've surrounded yourself with people that are also, you know, alone and you have no meaningful relationship with they them. They feed that as a seed that makes sense. Right. They're, they're parasites in your life. Right. Um, and, and, you know, other people are parasites on them and it's a whole vicious cycle, a whole culture of parasitic behavior. So... Wow, that sounded like a sound bite. A culture of parasitic behavior. Um, anyway. Timestamp Yeah. Timestamp it. Um, so I, I think that if you – so I do think that you have to, you have to reconsider. So you got to reconsider who you're with. you got to reconsider what you're doing. But at the very heart of it, you must reconsider the nature of reality mm -hmm. and specifically the idea – that God is not there, that God is not speaking to you. The truth is, is that when you look around, you can see God speaking in the very uh, fabric of nature itself. Romans, Paul says specifically that everybody is held accountable for their knowledge of God because nature itself screams about his very existence. When we look at, you know, when we look at the trees, when we look at the, I was going to say the wind, but you can't really look at the wind. But you can see the effects of the wind, but you cannot see the wind. Sorry, that's a reference to something. Um, Pocahontas. No. <laughs> um, when you look, when you look at all of these things, you can you can see God. You know when, and I know that sounds cliche, but it's absolutely true. Am I boring you, Producer no, Jasmine? No, no, no. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I just need to breathe. Okay, I have lungs. So. So, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's about, it is, it's about challenging con conclusions. And I think, honestly, I think you owe it to yourself. If you're, if you're a person who's having suicidal thoughts and these things, um, and you're at the point where you feel that everything is meaningless, then I guess the question I have for you in all seriousness is what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose in in concluding or not in concluding but in challenging your conclusions and so if you're a per if you're you know if you're a believer and you're listening to this and you know somebody who's having suicidal thoughts i guess my question to you is what do you have to lose what do you have to lose in challenging the suicidal thoughts of somebody if that person's going to take their own life anyway swing for the fences you know what i mean like what? What's the point in you not being bold and challenging their thought process, 
if they're going to take their own life anyway, then do your best to pull them back from hellfire. Mm-hmm. Now, when we get into that, I actually am a big believer that suicide is a forgivable sin. Um, I think that God understands people's hearts. Um, and, you know, it's just like any other sin that when a person, um, you know, that like a person, you know, steals or, or even one of the more heinous crimes, you know, they, they succumb to one of their passions before they die. I think that it is possible that there is forgiveness in that. Um, that being said, and I say that because I need to address the fact that suicide is considered a, I think cardinal is the correct term, um, a cardinal sin by like the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, and like you can't get into heaven if you commit suicide. Uh, I don't know that that's the case, um, and you know the Bible doesn't really speak speak to it in those terms. So I just I, I want to be clear with that. I think that God understands when people are wrought and confused. Um, I also think that there is a difference between suicide and then assisted suicide, which I consider to be murder in most cases. And then I also think that there's a difference between suicide and uh, um, like, how would you say it? Like mercy killing, but not assisted suicide. So like you're on the battlefield and you come along and there's, you know, there's a guy and he's like dying, like, you know, he's dying anyway. What do you do? You know, the enemy's coming. I don't think that that's the same thing as what we're talking about here. I also don't think that if you were to, say, take your own life to protect your family or something, that that's the same thing as suicide either. Does that make sense? Like in a situation like – or maybe you're like trying to um, – what's the cliche about people biting tablets, uh, cyanide? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like to protect in, – in the service of their country or whatever. Yeah, to protect their sensitive information, they like – kill themselves oh sure i don't think that that is what we're talking about either but we're what i'm talking about is this is a sincere confusion about your value before god and about his presence in your life um and i so i want to be clear that that's that's where we're at in the conversation and this entire conversation has been about that and not those things we can get into assisted suicide if somebody wants to bring it up as a topic another time um yeah but yeah there's this one thing i want to add and um, I want to point out that if um, you are seriously trying to find a reason to live and you're trying to take every route and any logical, like find any logical solution behind why it would make sense to be alive and... Um, yeah, you've honestly tried everything. Um, I think I could see like that, like what you were saying, making sense where you couldn't find it. You couldn't understand. But then like if you found God in that pursuit, but then you were like, no, that. I, and you rejected, you yeah. rejected. Uh, yeah. It's like, I'm not going to stoop to that level or whatever. Right. Then you really then you aren't. ahead and did it. Yeah. I think that's God saying, okay, look, I'm here for you. I need you to keep going. And then you backhanded that. Yeah, it's the hardness of the heart. Yeah. Uh, when you look at, um, God, 
who is it? Nietzsche? I think it's Nietzsche. Like, he, the... I don't know the truth of it. I don't know if this is just a meme. But, um... The... <laughs> but the uh, people, his students, they, they said were like killing themselves when they like finally understood Nietzsche, they would kill themselves. Mm. There's, it's actually really interesting if you look at um, suicide um, by actual suicide or suicide by like, you know, drinking yourself to death or something like that um, in the realm of these like deep like German philosophers and stuff. It's actually, it's actually pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so... I'll have to look into that. Yeah, definitely, definitely do. Here's what I want to say. I want to say, if you're a person who is struggling with thoughts of suicide, um, and you... Well, yeah, if you're a person who's struggling with thoughts of suicide, come talk to us. You, you know, we've set our phone number like a billion times, um, and we want to talk to you. Not afraid to not afraid to unpack your issues yeah i'm not afraid to listen to you and to to do my part in trying to teach you what i know about god which is that he's a god of hope that he sees you and that he is willing to provide for you so if you're listening to this or you know somebody who is listening to it or even if you're listening to it in post or whatever and you're a person who is struggling with those thoughts come talk to us because I guarantee you that there's something here to learn and that God does see you and that God does provide for you and mm-hmm. he's speaking to you right now in this moment. Yeah, and I have to say that I have been a person that has had has yeah. those thoughts You've before. Yeah. Um and like what I'm describing, like looking for any route to make logical sense comes from a first-hand uh thought process right. trying to figure out a solution. Right. And I did. So I would love to talk to you if you are going through something like that. Cool. All right. Well, um, we will be back. Uh, the nightlight will be back on on Monday, although we will be off the air. But we will be back on on Monday You know, from 9 to 11 if you want to reach out and talk to us. We are there for prayer. We are there for chatting. We're there to just give you biblical advice. Um, so reach out to us. There's lots of ways you can reach out to us. If you're interested in us talking about a specific topic or you want to talk to us on the air, uh, we can do that. Um, so, you know, uh, connect with us that way. In the meantime, let's give our prayers to uh justine because she's not feeling it right now mm-hmm. and uh hopefully she'll feel better soon but that is basically our show for tonight so our lines will be open for another hour so feel free to reach out and remember if you want to donate to our services or learn more about us you can check us out at abfpdx.org our website is uh being uh, it's under construction at the moment, but you can check us out at abfpdx.org um, if you want to reach out to us. And we will be back on the air uh, next Thursday uh, for Nightlight Radio. But our Facebook page and our counseling accounts and our phone number, all of that is always on, so send your messages and topics to discuss. Hope this has been a good um, evening for you. Good night and stay vigilant. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship.
You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.